0: listening to the 123 show with me Noreen May, on this Tuesday afternoon let's turn to our first topic and guest of today. Now in the next 20 minutes or so we're talking about education inequality and what are the effects of a family's socio economic background on a student's learning income uh, outcome sorry. <laughs> I'm delighted to be joined by Tan Chang Yong an associate professor from the faculty of education at the University of Hong Kong who has an expertise in this area. Welcome to the program Professor Tan, and thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for having me here. We are on Facebook Live as well, Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. That's the page to join us, so feel free to drop us any comments uh, if you have any. Now, uh, Professor Tan, it's very interesting. You have an expertise in in educational inequality. What does that mean? How would you define this?
1: Well, I think the best way, the easiest way for for us to understand this is to think of two students in a school system same ability level but why does one student do better than the other just as of different access to family resources and uh, this we call educational inequality and one way to uh, classify and characterize these differentials in family resources is this idea of SES social economic status mm-hmm. by that we mean your students have different access to important resources that they need to succeed in their life, including in school? So you can think of um, a parent from a certain family, highly educated, occupationally successful, having family resources and having a high level of family income. This family, this sort of parents is what we deem to have a higher social economic status or SES.
0: Yeah, wow. Um, which, if we look around Hong Kong, we, we see a lot of that. You know, many families here in, in Hong Kong are, you know, many students come from affluent backgrounds. Now, against that backdrop, you also uh, study something very uh, interesting as well, and that's cultural capital, um, along with SES. What exactly is cultural capital uh, in education? I'm afraid we've just uh, lost you, Professor Tan.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're back again. I'm so sorry.
0: No problem at all. Um, Yes, it just says my internet connection is not so stable. Okay, maybe I'll try it again. So um, you mentioned just now about educational inequality. Now, you also uh, researched something called cultural capital. What's different about that and what does that mean?
1: Well, if we agree that um, the phenomenon that we see in society, that children from higher SES backgrounds tend to do better on average than their peers, the next question will be why? So cultural capital is an idea whereby we use to explain these differentials in learning outcomes. So um, think of it as an explanatory mechanism. It should be differentiated from what we call economic capital. So it doesn't. it's not enough you know, for parents just to have the money. They must use the money wisely to invest in their children and to chart the path ahead for them. So when they do that, they're actually converting money into cultural capital. Another way to look at cultural capital is to think about whether parents parents actually understand the workings of the school system. Do they know how to prepare their children so that they can succeed even at a very young level? So you can see some parents with higher levels of cultural capital, even for kindergarten kids, they prepare them, they listen to information talks, they search globally to see what's the best way to prepare their kids. So that in 18 years' time, the kids can enter the top universities in the world. That is precisely cultural capital.
0: Okay, so it's partly money, but it's also what you do with that that's important. So it's not automatic yeah. just because you come from a rich family, and it doesn't automatically mean you'll succeed. It's really the investment of that what what, what the parents do. You know, going to talks and also uh, maybe paying for lessons and broadening the skills and, and the mindset of of students from a young age. Um, does that also make um, the two students, one from a rich family, one from a poor family, automatically on a, 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 a at a disadvantage because, you know, for, for some families, they don't have that resources. So their cultural capital might be lower. I, I, is that automatic?
1: Uh, it's not. I wouldn't say it's automatic. In fact, there can be there are cases of students from disadvantaged families who learn the correct skill sets, the correct frames of mind to be successful. It can be resilience. It can be grit. It can be having a positive mindset. It can be having a growth mindset. They can be learned in a way, although it's not that easy. But uh, it, I just want to respond to just now a point that you made, Noreen, about uh, money. Yeah, it's true. It's not automatic. You know? When you are rich, it doesn't mean that you will be really equipped with cultural capital to help your kids. But it helps to have some financial resources, definitely, make things easier.
0: Yeah. Um, an interesting point is if you look at Hong Kong and, and many and many uh, places in, in Asia or around the world, is that in the 50s and in the 60s, um, our, our grandparents' generation, they didn't have a lot of money to invest in the children but we're seeing you know that echelon of sort of baby boomers they're doing very well for themselves um why is why is that i mean is it societal Are there other influences um what was the cultural capital in their in in, in their era they did oh know. i like this
1: question I, I like this question very much um it's often talked about question i also benefit i come from a very humble family and um, um, have a little bit of success in life. Now, it's different back then. It depends on the level of the country, society's development. There are a lot of studies that show that when a country is less developed, when everybody is somewhat on par, then Mm. the family is not that important. Schools are very important. Go to a good school. But in a modern society like Hong Kong, like the UK, like the US, it does not help too much. If you go to school alone. We need to have family support, parents with cultural capital and other types of family capital to give them a boost. After all, schools in modern societies in developed systems like Hong Kong, they are somewhat uniform actually.
0: That's really, yeah, that's a that's an excellent point. Yes, um, like you also, humble beginnings, but I, I wouldn't say I had the success, but, you know, it, it's very different. It's a different level playing field to what students yes. have these days. Nowadays, what's considered the norm for many students, many young students, is going for piano lessons, violin lessons, sports camps and science camps and, and all of this. But whereas back in our generation, Perhaps those things weren't so important. Um, so maybe let's talk a little bit. I, I know you also study the family socioeconomic backgrounds. Does that have a direct student? Does that have a direct effect on the student's learning outcome, or does it come down to the student's? Uh, does it sort of come down to the student's uh, aptitude for for learning? I'm
1: afraid. Well, I think that yeah. there's definitely a, an effect. I would say a strong effect. Yeah.
0: Go on, go on, um, sorry.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, we can. If you think about SES effects on students' learning outcomes, we can think of it at two levels. Affecting students at the individual level and at the school level, right? By individual level, we're saying if a student comes from a more advantaged family, higher SES families, he or she will have more, res- more resources to access to help them in their learning. So that we can understand, very straightforward but there's another even more crucial and important influence. You know every school comprises lots and lots of students and every student will have an SES profile of their family. If we were to aggregate this SES profile of each student in the school, we have what we call school SES or composite or aggregate SES. Now this is a very, very predictor of student achievement. In fact, uh, across um, the world, in, in the last 50 to 70 years, we found that school SES effects on students' outcomes are almost double, if not more, that of individual students' at SES. Now, we may, we may ask, why is this so? Yeah. If you think of a high SES school, in, in Hong Kong, for example, think of an international school, or think of at least a direct subsidy school, DSS schools. What do these schools look like? They tend to have principals who are more equipped, they may lead to a different style, more empowering towards teachers instead of being directed. These schools may have more educational resources. They may pursue a higher level curriculum like the IB curriculum. Um, they may have more qualified teachers. They can attract them. They pay more to attract good teachers, more motivated teachers, even among the student cohort in the school. These students come from families whose parents value learning, value education. So these students when they go to school, overall they have a more positive peer learning climate. So all these factors converge to make studying in a higher SES schools more advantageous in a way for the student. And that's why in higher SES schools, students actually do better over and above the advantages that they get from their family SES. And that's actually very alarming.
0: Is there also that top 1% in these SES, these social economic status? For example, um, I went to an international school, and and for my family, it was just a good thing if I was able to get into a university, any university, whereas I had friends whose parents done very well for themselves. They graduated from the Yale, from the Harvard, from the Stanford, <laughs> and their pressure was to get into those Colleges, like to and and that's a different sort of game for them to 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 get into those universities. So, is there enough sort of cultural capital for those people to get into those universities? Do, do you see what I mean? So, it, it makes it even more competitive on that level. Oh, that's, that's very
1: interesting. That's a very interesting. Exactly, exactly. Cultural capital. In fact, in cultural capital. We also talk about worldviews, your expectations of success. You know, so uh, middle class families or high social class families, their parents think very differently. They think global. They don't go for convenience. They think about where can I put my child in the best school, in the best university, anywhere in the world. And they believe that that's good for them and they believe that it can be achieved. Whereas in many studies, unfortunately, we find that parents of uh, working class backgrounds, they tend to have much lower expectations, even if their kids are able. They feel that well maybe they can't do it they can't go to cambridge they can't go to harvard they can't go to to princeton so that's the problem
0: so it comes down to okay now i know you also have done a study on e-citizen education 360. tell us a little bit more about uh, your initiative
1: Yeah, um, the E360 study is a very recent study in response to you know the speed of school suspension and resumption in Hong Kong because of COVID-19. So we collected data um, in June and July this year. It, it was very short reaction time, but we're very happy and thankful many schools come on board, 53 schools in fact. So we surveyed um, 550 school leaders, 790 teachers. 1,300 parents and almost 7,000 students, primary and secondary students. So we try to find out from them what's their learning experiences like during the school closure and what is it like after? What are their learning experiences? What are their perceived learning outcomes? And we have very um, interesting and yet I would say disconcerting uh, results, especially pertaining to the topic of today, you know, SES. For example, we find that... For SES students, they reported a lot, a lot more worries during the school suspension. They're worried about upcoming exams after school suspension. They're worried about the future career being affected during the school suspension. They're worried about going online, getting distracted, gaming and all that. They're worried about the long-term negative effects of school suspension on their learning. And they're very worried about whether they can cope with the schoolwork because of school suspension.
0: And this is the The lower SES or the higher SES? The lower SES compared to the higher
1: SES. And this same pattern of results we get for primary and secondary school students. And the parents echoed the same pattern of findings. Parents were, um, were more worried. They perceived that their kids did not learn so much digital skills during online learning, school suspension they were more likely to feel that they cannot provide the kind of support you know, for their children because we have about 15 to 20% of kids who participated in this survey indicating they have inadequate internet access. And about 5% who said that they don't have adequate devices, digital devices like a laptop, for example, to help them in learning. Parents also were worried about upcoming exams for their kids, you know, for lower SES parents and they were more likely to say that they cannot support their kids during home learning. And these are all all low SES families. The high SES families' parents, completely different set of pattern of results, opposite to what I've said, in terms of children, in terms of students' uh, parents' perceptions. So we see there's a divide, SES divide, digital divide, and that's implicating and making things very difficult for our students in Hong Kong to learn when schools are closed.
0: Yeah. And I can draw an example of this as well. I know people from the high SES, uh, SES uh, family group and during school closures um, for their three year old, they would hire a tutor to, to be in every online class for them. <laughs> <laughs> it just, but at the same time, it, at the same time, is it really necessary? Is it really necessary to do it from such a young age? Is is cultural capital, you know, something that you need to start from a young age? You know, surely you should be developing their aptitude for learning, and and when they're that young, it should be cultivating, um, yeah, that uh, their the love and joy for learning, and and also uh, other skills, softer skills, rather than you know drilling in information.
1: You're right. I think it boils down to you know, what they expect, what parents expect. Remember, um, parents with cultural capital, they think of the long term, the long haul. And to them, they feel that they must invest. They must do this concerted cultivation so that their children's potential can be maximized, even from early childhood. Yeah. So it comes at a price, of course. You know, the children can get very stressed. Um, they may suffer along the way. But there are also benefits because it's being charted for them full their
0: journey, their Yeah, maybe you can link that to a happiness index in your next study, Professor Tang, and, and you know, whether families from high SES, the learning outcomes versus um, happiness, uh, something along those lines. So it sounds like, you know, I mean, we, we live in an unfair society where some of us really need to spend more time sort of working and and earning money just to make ends meet. And then some Mm -hmm. have extra resources to dedicate uh, for for, for children. So how can we make things fairer? How can we make sure that all the children in our society actually enjoy similar benefits despite on external investments uh, from their parents?
1: That's a good question. I think it's a million dollar question, especially relevant for educators like us or policy makers. I will frame my response in three parts. You know, first, students, second, schools, third, conversation between schools and parents. Now, in terms of students, can we actually equip students with the correct mindset? Set higher expectations for themselves to know that they can do better than what their family circumstances dictate that they can do. Can they learn some grit, re- some resilience? Can they be positive? Um, can they learn also what schools expect of them? Often we assume that students know, but no, not true. For example, do all students know that teachers, many teachers, expect them to be confident in the way they share their arguments, present their views? Do they really know that teachers expect them and value them doing their homework on time? Things like that some students may not understand because their parents may not be socialized and may not be themselves, educationally successful in the past. So they can't pass these values to their kids. So that's for students in terms of parents, do parents actually know what to do? How to complement the school, how to work together with the school for their kids' benefits? Um, I have a, a study, very interesting, uh, meta-analysis where I try to find out whether parental involvement uh, accrues the same benefit to different children, depending on family background. And interestingly, I find that there are some parental involvement activities where it clearly, the benefits are not the same for higher SES as compared to lower SES parents. Like, for example, when parents emphasize the importance of learning, do they know what they're emphasizing? For example, when parents talk to teachers in schools, are they affected? Are these conversations affected? When parents support their children learning at home, do they know what to do? Do they know children's psychology? So things like that, it'd be good to equip Um Parents from lower SES backgrounds with this knowledge and this mindset so that they can be more effective, as effective as higher SES parents in doing these things. Now, the third, um, the third strategy, I think there must be a lot, a lot more conversations between schools and families. Very often, schools assume. Parents know what to do to help their kids and support them. At the same time, parents assume the schools don't want them to do too much. That's the problem. So they need to come to a middle ground, some convergence. With that conversation, expectations are clarified and there can be a better job in collaboration between the home and the school. And that ultimately benefits the kids.
0: Yeah, wow. A a lot of food for thought this afternoon, Professor Tan. Thank you so much for your sharing. I could go on all day with this, but we're out of time. But I look forward to inviting you back on again. And maybe we can also have a panel discussion with some students as well um, on on this topic and see what students really want. And sometimes maybe too much cultural capital can actually um, and what the negative impacts of of that might be, because they might just want to have some free time to to be creative (coughs) rather than and you're right, you're classes, right. Yeah, this is so interesting. Uh, a, a lot of thoughts uh, for, for our listeners. Thank you so much once again for your time. And we've been speaking to Professor Tan Chang-Yong, an associate professor from the Faculty of Education at the University of Hong Kong this afternoon. And thank you very thank much you for joining having- us.